So last week we started talking about what we want most out of life. We all have some picture in our mind of what the good life is, and it's different for all of us. It might involve a career or an accomplishment you want to achieve or a relationship or some blurry status that you want to reach. But we all have an idea that when we make it there, our life will finally be good. And today the question I want to ask is, what's your plan to get there? What's your plan to make it to the good life? Maybe you already have that plan. Well, would you reach out to me and tell me about it? My name is Nathan, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Community Christian Online, and you can text me directly at the number you see on screen. Let me know your point of view on what we're talking about. Maybe ask a question or simply just reach out to talk. I'd love to hear from you. Because even though we're a Christian church, and I'm gonna talk about my viewpoint from the lens of Jesus and his teachings, I don't want this just to be a one-sided conversation. I want to hear from you, and you can use that number on screen to text me at any time. Now, like I said, since we're a Christian church, it probably doesn't shock you that I believe that the good life has something to do with Jesus. But it might shock you to know that I don't believe the good life begins when you finally get to heaven one day. In fact, what we talked about last week is that the message that Jesus preached when he was on earth was not about getting all of us down here, up there. It was about getting up there to come down here. It was about bringing what he called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of the heavens into our world and into our lives. This is what Jesus refers to as abundant or eternal life. Jesus said it was a rich and satisfying life, the kind of life we will have forever in heaven with God right here and now in our world with our personalities, with your job and your family and your relationships, the kingdom of God is near. And last week we talked about how this is truly the good life we've all longed for. And until we truly experience it, we will always feel a thirst and a hunger that nothing in this life can satisfy. No amount of success or power or sex or money or security can ever truly satisfy the longings in your soul because you weren't made for these things. You and I were made for the kingdom of God. And I don't really have time to go back over all that, so I would encourage you to go to our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and watch last week's episode to find out more. Because today, I wanna talk about how we experience that kind of life. How do we get from where we are to the good life Jesus promises? Well, once again, I don't think it's a shock for you to hear me say that I think Jesus is the answer, but I wanna make clear, I'm not just talking about you praying a prayer or calling yourself a Christian. In fact, you might already call yourself a Christian or maybe you were a Christian and you've never experienced a heaven-like kind of life or the eternally rich and satisfying kind of life Jesus lived. And that may even be your frustration with Christians. It's that their faith doesn't make their life any better than anyone else. Well, that's because it takes more than being a Christian. In fact, last week we talked about how Jesus never called anyone to be a Christian. Instead, he called us to be his disciples. And a disciple is an apprentice who has a plan to do everything their master teaches them to do. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who has a plan to do everything Jesus commanded them to do. Now you may think, so the good life is doing what someone else commands me to do? That does not sound like heaven to me. But that's because we don't have a good picture of what heaven or what life as a disciple of Jesus actually looks like. 
So I want to give us a picture of how the Bible paints the good life. In fact, the entire story of the Bible from beginning to end is the story of God entering into the story of humanity, breaking into our world and bringing His eternal life, the life of the kingdom of heaven, into our world and into our lives. And then it all kind of culminates in the life of Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man. And he invited us to live a life just like his. It's the life we as humans were made to live. Not a good life that begins when we die and go from down here up there. But when we live right here and now, allowing up there to come down here for the kingdom of heaven, the eternal life of heaven to break into our world by first breaking in here. And as you watch this video, a lot of it might sound confusing or mysterious and maybe even raise some questions for you. So if you want to reach out and ask me a question or share your point of view or just have a conversation, you can text me at the number you see on screen. I would be happy to talk with you. Now humans aren't spiritual beings. In Genesis 1 and 2, they're made of the dirt like the animals. But notice that God calls humans to become something more. He elevates them to live and rule in Eden, the place where heaven and earth are one. And they're invited to eat from the tree of life. And what does that mean, to eat of the tree of life? Well, it's an image of receiving God's own eternal life into yourself. It's about a whole new kind of existence. So wait, physical beings living forever. How could that even work? Well, somehow, sharing in God's life transforms our bodies so that we can inhabit heaven and earth at the same time. And it also transforms our imaginations so that we learn how to rule the world like God in the power of love. This is an amazing calling, but humanity is quickly deceived by a spiritual rebel. Yes, he lies to the humans, saying that they can rule and get eternal life on their own terms. And God exiles all of them from the garden. They're cut off from the source of true life. Evil and death now have power over us, and we live in a world of fear, self-preservation, violence. But God promises that one day a human will come to defeat evil and death at their source and to open up a new way to a reunited heaven and earth. And this promise reaches its fulfillment in Jesus. Right, when we're introduced to Jesus, he's a human, but he's also way more. Yeah, we're told that in Jesus, God and humanity have become one so that he can restore the rest of humanity to its lost calling. And Jesus was tested by that same deceptive spiritual being, not in a garden, but out in the wilderness. Yeah, it tells Jesus the same lie. You could rule the whole world right now if you come under my authority and do things my way. But Jesus knew that that lie leads to death. So he rejected it and was victorious over the spiritual power of evil. And so then Jesus started announcing that God's heavenly rule was arriving here on earth through him. And so he went around confronting the power of death in his healings and his exorcisms. Jesus was opening the way back to eternal life, to rule with God and become new humans. Yes, he also confronted our imaginations by teaching how corrupt spiritual powers enslave whole communities with their lies. Lies like, my tribe is superior to your tribe. But Jesus said every human is an image of God. Or the lie that power comes through force. While Jesus taught that real power requires sacrifice and generosity. Or the lie that peace comes through violence. While he said that true peace comes through self-giving love. This is a new kind of humanity. Yeah, a humanity transformed by God's life and his love. And Jesus didn't just talk about these ideals, 
He lived them out. Yeah, exactly. He brought God's heavenly kingdom to Jerusalem to confront the powers. In fact, that's what got him arrested. Well, so maybe the way of Jesus can't win over evil. But from Jesus' point of view, his coming death was actually a battle. A battle? Yeah, not against humans, but against the real enemy, the spiritual powers that enslave us through their lies. Jesus gave his life and let evil do its worst. But God's love has the power to create life, even out of death. That's what happened when Jesus rose from the dead. And the reason Jesus is human, but a new kind of human. Yeah, when Jesus' followers met him alive from the dead, he had a transformed body that could live in heaven and earth at the same time. He's like a new category of human, one that can live and rule with God forever. Jesus is the new humanity that we're called to become. Right. He said that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. And then he sent out his followers to announce that his eternal life is available to us now in the present. We can experience eternal life now? Well, Jesus said that eternal life is knowing this God of love so that our imaginations can be transformed as we're liberated to love God and to love our neighbor. And we trust that even if we die, God's love will transform our bodies and raise us up into the new creation. And that's how the story of the Bible ends. Yeah, the ending is a new beginning with Jesus and the new humanity ruling in a united heaven and earth together. Jesus comes into the mess of our world and the brokenness of our hearts and our families and the injustice and oppression that is wrecking our world. And he brings a new way to be human a kind of humanity where we can live in the kingdom of the heavens and this world at the same time, where we can experience the power of God to bring about the rule and authority of God in our lives and in the lives of those around us. A life where we step into the eternally rich and satisfying life of heaven and bring it to bear in our lives every day. This is truly the good life. But it only exists when we live under the rule and authority of God. We can only live in the kingdom of God if we allow God to be the king of our lives. If we allow his words and his commands to have the final say in our life. It's the life of a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, who doesn't just believe everything Jesus said about himself, but has a plan to do everything Jesus said to do. And not because we're afraid that he'll reject us or strike us down if we don't blindly obey his commands, but because we believe that he is the first human to ever experience true and eternal life. A life that doesn't end with death, a life where, as the Bible says it, we don't even taste death. And if he has shown us the way to live a life like his, why wouldn't I? Well, I think a significant reason why most of us don't experience the eternally rich and satisfying life of Jesus' kingdom is because we do not intend to. Now hear me clearly, I'm not saying that you don't want to. I think no matter what you believe about Jesus being God or not, we all want to experience an eternally rich and satisfying life. We all want the good life, but we may not intend to do what it takes to get there. I mean, all of us would want to be a millionaire, but not all of us intend to do what it takes to get there. Maybe we think we don't have what it takes to get there. And maybe you think you don't have what it takes to experience the eternally rich and satisfying life of Jesus. See, that's where the grace of God comes in. Grace is the power of God working in our lives to do for us and enable us to do what we can't do on our own. Most of us who are Christians hear grace as like a magic ticket to heaven. Grace means I'm forgiven of my sin and I go to heaven when I die. And sure, forgiveness of sins is also grace because that's something I can't do for myself. 
But grace is also the power to live the kind of life that Jesus promises us. Grace is what makes the relationship between God and I possible where I can live life cooperating with him in his kingdom. And even though grace is a free gift of God and I could never earn it, I mean, I can't earn it, which is good news because that means we're all in the same boat. No matter who you are or what you've done in your life, the grace of God is available to us all. But even though I can't earn it, the grace of God is not opposed to my effort. I have to cooperate with God's grace to experience the life he promises me. Here's what I mean. You will not naturally drift into living a life like Jesus. Even if you're a Christian, even if you've been forgiven of your sin, you will not simply float along in life and become more loving and less angry and less easily offended. You won't naturally become more of a forgiving person or more generous or more joyful. I mean, let's be honest, time doesn't do anything more than just make you older. It takes effort and cooperation with God's grace and a heart that is teachable and willing to do what Jesus commands us to for us to experience the life Jesus has promised us. It takes us being an apprentice of Jesus. It takes us being intentional about learning from Jesus how to do everything he commanded us to do. So do you intend to do what Jesus commands you to do? Like look at what Jesus says about anger. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Now, most of us don't mind the first part of this. Don't murder. Why? Because murder is not in my plan for the good life. None of us are like, I want to keep murder as an option in case I need it at some point. Not most of us, I guess, at least, but anger? Most of us don't want to be angry people, but we like having anger in our back pocket in case we need it. I mean, if I asked you, I have a magic pill that I can give you where you'll never be angry again. Now, I'm not saying you won't feel angry, but you won't be angry, and those are two different things that I don't have time to go into right now, but you could text me about it. If you can never be angry again, you'll never feel the need to curse someone out again. You'll never call someone an idiot again. Would you want it? Now, nearly all of us hesitate just a little. I mean, I don't wanna take that option off the table. We can't really imagine a good life without the ability to blow a little bit of steam off occasionally or to have a little bit of judgment over someone, to hold a little bit of a grudge. It's like that old story of a little girl in Sunday school and the teacher asked, what is a lie? And she said, an abomination before God and a very present help in time of trouble. I don't wanna give up lying. I, I don't want, as Jesus commanded, to always make my yes my yes and my no my no. I mean, I live in the South. What if someone invites me to something that I have no plan to go to, but I don't want to be rude? Can I say, yeah, that sounds great. I'll see you then and never show up. It's just a little white lie. I don't want to give up the option of exaggerating a little or fudging the truth a little or holding the truth back when I think it might be something someone doesn't want to hear. I can't imagine a good life where I can't tell some polite lies. What about this one? Jesus said, if you even look at a man or woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. If I could give you a pill where you'd never experience lust, which is just sexual desires, fantasies, thoughts, or actions outside of a marriage relationship, if you could never experience that again, would you want it? Can you imagine a good life without lust? 
I mean, seriously, consider these objections. How can I operate in business or life with always having to be fully honest all the time? I can't ever stretch the truth or tell little polite lies. How do you expect me to survive dinner with my in-laws then, huh? Are you saying I can't ever be angry? You want me to just be passive and let people walk all over me? Have you seen the world we live in? Have you seen the idiots in our world? You're saying I should intend to never call them an idiot? What about lust? I mean, I know I shouldn't just let it get out of hand, but are you asking me to repress myself, repress who I am, my desires? And I get that. But I want you to consider for a moment, is your life the way you want it right now? Is every part of your life rich and satisfying? I don't think any of us can honestly say every part of our lives are. Even the people we look up to who have the job or the success or the Insta stories that we covet or the security and the money we think would make us feel okay, we don't really think that every single part of their life is rich and satisfying. And if you think they are, can I be honest, you're fooling yourself? But let me ask you, do you think every part of Jesus' life was good and rich and satisfying? He said it was. And he said the same spirit, the same power that lived in him lives in all who have received his grace. And he said, if we want to experience the eternal life he offers, we have to do what he did. Yeah, this doesn't even sound possible. Everything he commanded, how do you do that? Well, you can't do it on your own. We need the grace and the power of God to do it. But if Jesus commanded us to do it, he intended us to be able to do it. It's that simple. The question is, do you intend to? I mean, if you want the good life Jesus promises, do you intend to do everything he commanded to do to get there? And if you do, what's your plan to do that? What's your plan to do everything Jesus commanded you to do? Well, I want to give you a glimpse into the plan that we as a church have to make disciples of Jesus, people who intend to do everything Jesus said to do. We simply call them discipleship groups. And their purpose is to help people become apprentices to Jesus. People who, as we put it, are continually learning from Jesus how to do every part of their life while teaching others to do the same. And I want you to get a glimpse of the simple yet purposeful kind of experience of being in one of these groups. And if during this video you want more information about being in one of these groups, would you reach out to me through the number you see on screen? Just text disciple or group to that number, and I'll talk with you about what your next step is in discipleship to Jesus. Uh, for me, the rhythm really allows, um, helps you teach or learn tools to get you through different situations. Like not every uh, two week rhythm is gonna be useful to each and everybody. But like, there's different tools that you learn throughout the program that really help you get through life while including Jesus in those decisions. What I like the best is the daily communication with my guys. Um, I'm really kind of an introverted guy and um, that makes me, I think, be a better person. Being, you know, with people, being in community is what is how we grow because you know I can read the Bible every single day but I notice that I don't get as much at times but when I can have a conversation with other fellow Christ followers reflect on it and just be very transparent it allows me to be transparent with my relationship with God 
I think it's important because it's so easy to stray away from Jesus. Um, if you do not have a plan like this to do, do some thinking and talking and daily. I realize, you know, I, I didn't realize this at first, but I realized that the constant, like, you know, interactions, it just constantly made me be aware of who, of that God was around me. It's very easy to go, okay, well, I'll check in with God on Sunday because, you know, that's kind of how we at times treat it. But when you're constantly having a conversation or constantly interacting with other Christ followers and you're like, wow, I have planned God into my day. And often it's like we think, okay, if I plan it, it doesn't mean it, it, it feels like it doesn't mean as much, but the planning of it means it's intentional. Like as you progress through the program and follow the plan, honestly, um, it really builds that intentional relationship and it kind of falls away from being a schedule or scheduling it into your life and then pushes it to becoming part of your life. So yeah, it just goes beyond um, checking in a daily email, so on and so on, and really just works God into your life and how to follow Jesus. It's so easy to think that, you know, hearing it in a message alone is going to feed my spirit and then thinking that, okay, well, you know, all right, I've done my Jesus thing for the week, you know, when it's more as intentional as, you know, a person learning to play an instrument or a person learning a skill. It's in order to get better at it, in order to do it better, you have to actually intentionally put time into it and devote time to it because you know, it's very easy to say, oh, well, I'm not growing in my faith. Well, it's like, well, what effort have you put into it? What actions have you taken to grow it? You know, because a guitar player that can't play a chord or a piano player that can't play a chord that has never picked up their guitar except for once a year can't really, you know, have a reason as to why. It's because the reason is that they didn't put the time and effort into it. You can't get to the good life on your own. You need the power of God, and you also need other disciples to walk alongside you. Why would I say that? It's because it's what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus' model of discipleship was him and 12 guys doing life together daily. And then when he sent them out into the world, they didn't just go and baptize people and make them Christians and send them off by themselves. They created discipleship communities called churches. Jesus communities learning together how to bring the reality of heaven, the kingdom of God into this world by together learning how to do everything Jesus commanded them to do. And so that's our plan. Together, we're continually learning from Jesus how to do every part of our lives while teaching others to do the same. It's who we wanna be as a church. Whether you join with us in person or from your home here in Coweta or all the way from California, we wanna be a community of apprentices to Jesus because we believe Jesus is the only way to experience the good life, the eternal life of the kingdom of God that we were made to experience. Jesus said at the end of his most famous sermon, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise or anyone who's my apprentice, anyone who doesn't just hear what I teach, but has a plan to actually put it into action is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, 
meaning when the storms and troubles of life come, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When you buy a new house, you might pay attention to whether it's an open floor plan or the cabinets or whether they've got his and her sinks, but you know what you should actually care about? The foundation. In fact, you don't think about the foundation because you assume no one builds a house on a bad foundation. But Jesus says, people do this with their lives all the time. We live our lives only focused on the decorations. We think it's the accoutrement that will bring us the good life. And I don't know why, that's a terrible word. It's French, it sounds like you're throwing up when you say it. It's gross, but it's, just, it's what we focus on. We think when we get the job, when we get the girl or the guy, when our kids graduate, when we finally are successful or financially stable, then our lives will be good. And all along, the foundation of our life is built on a sinkhole. I once heard someone say that everyone in our culture wants the kingdom without the king. We want the fruits of life with God without wanting the roots. Meaning, we all want inner peace. And you hear people talk about inner peace all the time, right? Well, Jesus promised a peace that this world doesn't bring, that transcends understanding. Well, yes, please, I'll take one of those. But I don't really want to do everything he tells me to do. Just tell me how to get the peace thing. How do I pray that into my life? We all want some joy in our lives, but I don't want to learn from Jesus how to get it. I'd rather just purchase it or inject it or sex it into my life. Our world right now is longing for the justice of God to make our world whole and to bring reconciliation. But are we longing not only for the justice, but the authority and the power of God? We all are longing for a rich and satisfying marriage, family relationships, and emotional and mental health. But are we willing to do everything Jesus said in order to get there? We want the good life, we want eternal life, but we're not sure we want Jesus as king. But you can't get the life of Jesus apart from Jesus. Jesus said, build your life on me. Make my life, my example, my teachings, the foundation of your life. Stop trusting in your personal philosophy of life or what your mama raised you or how you saw your dad live his life or some article you read on Buzzfeed or your political views to determine how you live your life. Stop trusting in your 401k and your ability to control your life and manipulate others. Stop trusting in your success and your sex life and your dream job to finally bring you a rich and satisfying life. Trust in Jesus. Jesus says, do what I tell you to do. Trust that I know what's best for you and do everything I command you to do. See, this is why I love our discipleship groups because I've been a Christian my whole life. And nearly six years ago when I started doing these groups, it was the first time in my life I ever had a plan to do everything Jesus commanded me to do. And it has radically changed my life. I mean completely. It changed my wife's life and our marriage and our parenting and our finances and our emotional and yeah, our physical health, believe it or not. And it's not just us. Men and women all over our church and throughout the history of the church who have decided to follow a plan to build their lives on Jesus by doing everything he said to do have experienced real life change and the rich and satisfying life of Jesus. 
So do you have a plan? And not just a you and God plan, a plan involving others because that's the model Jesus gave us. If not, would you consider joining a discipleship group here at Community Christian? Here's what you'll find when you get intentional about being a disciple of Jesus. When you read the life of Jesus from the Bible daily, you'll, you'll find out he's the most loving person to ever live, and he's the most intelligent teacher to ever live. There is no other curriculum for life, no other path of enlightenment or truth that has transformed as many lives over thousands of years as the words of Jesus have. And the words of Jesus can still transform you if you submit to them. When you take part in these practices that we do, some of them which followers of Jesus have done for thousands of years, you begin to stretch yourself in ways you normally wouldn't, and you experience the power and presence of God in ways you never expected. As you practice the teachings of Jesus, you begin to stretch your imagination to seeing the good life of God as something practical and desirable. And when you do this in a community with the help of others who know you, and your unique personality and your family and your relationships and your life, they can help you apply this in a way that is not burdensome, but is empowering to you. They can provide encouragement and support for you along the way. And when you do this continually, not just for a short period of time, but over the course of your life, your life begins to transform into someone that's almost unrecognizable to who you were before. You'll be amazed at what God can do with your life when you build your life on Him and intend to do everything He says to do. And I want you to see one more picture of this from someone who has seen their life transformed from being in apprenticeship to Jesus. And as you listen to her story of learning from Jesus how to do every part of life, I want you to imagine what could be different about your life if you did the same. And I want to encourage you to reach out to me through the number on screen. Have a conversation with me about it ask any questions you have, talk about anything you wanna see changed in your life, I'd be happy to talk with you. When Heidi's story is done, we're gonna sing a song about what it means to build our lives on Jesus alone, because there is no one like him, there is no one else who can lead us to the eternally rich and satisfying life of the kingdom of God. My name is Heidi, and I've been in a discipleship group at Community Christian for six years now. And it is my belief that the discipleship program is the most valuable opportunity we have to offer people looking for a deeper connection to Jesus. My own life is a testament to that. For example, I used to hate silence because what was in my head was too chaotic and too painful to sit with. Now I treasure it because it's this sacred time where my father renews and restores me. I've learned that there's wisdom that my past experiences have given me I used to think of those parts of me as irreparably damaged and flaws that inhibited me from helping others. But now I know that God can use them to make me a better encourager, leader, and friend. Over the past six years, Christ has given me the boldness to speak truth. I used to think that I was thought of as an annoying know-it-all who people really didn't want to hear from. Now, I know that my courage to speak can be used by God to speak His truth to someone's life and maybe say something that nobody else was willing to say. Christ has given me this overwhelming love and empathy to help me support others better. I used to be so overwhelmed by the pain that I felt that I wanted to shield myself from relationships and I would pray regularly that God would make me feel less so that it didn't hurt so much to love people. 
But now I'm certain that my big feelings are a gift that actually helped me love better. Before discipleship, whenever I used to face interactions with challenging people, I would second guess everything I believed in and I would usually come away certain that I had no value to add to anything and so why had I even tried? <laughs> even tried. But now, difficult people help me to reevaluate and shore up the healthy boundaries that I have while also reminding me that my confidence is in Christ, not me. So I can move forward with boldness and confidence because He's the source of that. None of these things are things that I get right every time, and some I still get wrong more often than I get right. But these are truths that have begun to take root in my mind and have changed the way that I think, therefore changing the way I behave and ultimately making me a person that I wouldn't have imagined myself becoming 10 or 20 years ago. And it's only because I'm choosing to be a disciple of Jesus. I get to be consistently involved in an intentional, habitual relationship with Jesus, and I get to help others do that as well. When I started this whole program, I thought of it as a task that I would accomplish, and I would have never imagined wanting to do it for the rest of my life. But now, to be honest, I can't imagine not continuing it for the rest of my life. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you Jesus the name above every other name Jesus, the only one who could ever say, Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you.
The only way to the good life is through intentionally choosing to do everything Jesus commanded us to do. And when we do, we experience the kingdom of God breaking into our lives and not only transforming us, but enabling us to bring heaven to earth into our world. What could be better than that? This is what we celebrate every week when we take part in the meal of communion. During this meal, we remember the death of Jesus, which made the grace of God and life in the kingdom of God available to all of us. We do so by using the emblems Jesus told us to. We use bread to represent his body and juice to represent his blood given for us. And so if you're a follower of Jesus today, would you get whatever elements you have available to take part in this meal? You can use a piece of bread or I have a cracker right here to remember Jesus' body and a cup of juice or water to represent his blood. The elements aren't as important as who you are remembering. But if you're here and you're not sure you believe all that we do, we're so glad to have you joining in with us. And I would encourage you during this time to reflect on everything you've experienced during this service. Is it possible that Jesus offers the best way to do life and that he wants to lead you to a life of love, a life that is rich and satisfying? Maybe offer a prayer up to him asking if he's real to make himself real to you. I believe he wants to do that wherever you are right now. Maybe during this time you want to speak to someone. Please text me through the number you see on screen right now. I'd love to speak with you. But for followers of Jesus right now, take the bread. This is the body of Christ given for you to bring you new and eternal life. Take and eat and remember. And now the cup. This is the blood of Jesus poured out to bring you into the kingdom of God right now and forever. Drink and remember. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for Jesus. His body and his blood given for us to bring us eternal life forever in a relationship with you. God, we also thank you for his example and his teachings that guide us to your eternal life. You say through your word that eternal life is knowing you. God, may we know you more as we follow you. I pray for everyone listening that we would take seriously your commands and intend to do everything you command us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I wanna ask you one more time, do you have a plan to do everything Jesus has commanded you to do? Do you have a plan to experience the eternally rich and satisfying life of Jesus? Well, if you don't and you want one, would you text the word disciple right now to the number you see on screen? I would love to talk with you and help you find out your next step in becoming a disciple of Jesus because it's the only thing that will lead you to the good life you really want. I hope you'll reach out to me and I hope you'll join in with us next week. See you then. Life has always been hard and complicated, but at least in most of our lifetimes, these are unprecedented times in more ways than one. And because of that, we're beginning a new chapter of our church's history. This Sunday, we're starting a new series that I believe could bring a monumental shift in our church, in our culture, and in your personal life if you'll fully engage. And so I'm asking that whether you call Community Christian your home or whether you're just checking us out, would you make sure to tune in with our service on Sunday, August 2nd, as we begin talking about something that is long overdue? So if you haven't done so already, would you subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Facebook, so we can be 
remind you to join with us this coming Sunday. And whether you join in with us live at 1030 Eastern Time or whether you watch on demand at a later time, I'm asking for all of us come together for this time. And I believe that together, we will not only change our lives, but we'll be a part of bringing the love of God and his kingdom to our world. And no matter what you believe about God or church or the Bible, we want you to join in with us. Because as we always try to say around here, no matter what you think about God, we believe he can't stop thinking about you. He's for you, and so are we. I hope you'll join us this Sunday as we start our new series, Christians in the Age of Outrage.